Hi, everyone. Welcome to the season finale of the Community Relations Corner. My name is Gary Rosenblatt, and I'm the former editor and publisher of the Jewish Week. And it's an honor and a pleasure for me to host to today, host today's program. Uh, <clears throat> as you well know, on other occasions, Michael Miller, who's ex executive vice president and CEO of the Jewish Community Relations Council of New York, uh, has served as the host where he discussed issues of concern to New York's Jewish community with uh, friends and partners of the, all over the city. Today, to wrap up this season of The Corner, uh, the tables have been turned and I will be interviewing Michael as he's about to step down from his current position, which he's held for over 36 years and assumed the title of CEO Emeritus. So Michael, we're gonna have a chance to talk about uh, your life, uh, the work you've done, uh, your perspective on, on the Jewish community relations. And um, it's a great opportunity for you to speak frankly um, at, at this stage. Um, and maybe we should start with um, uh, your background. And, and um, uh, I'm honored to have known your dad uh, when I was a student at Yeshiva University around the time that you were. And um, so I'm sure that you grew up with um, Jewish community relations uh, and synagogue relations uh, running through your, your veins. But maybe you can talk a little bit about what that was like uh, at home and how you got interested in the field. Thank you. Thanks very much, Gary, for conducting this interview. Um, indeed, we've known each other for um, a, a very lengthy period of time, <laughs> going back to our college days. Um, and um, my home, uh, or our home, uh, my older brother, my two younger sisters, and I, my mother and my father, uh, it was a Jewish communal home. My father was a rabbi in the Bronx, uh, the northern part of the Bronx, the Kingsbridge Heights section, um, Orthodox rabbi um, in a very large congregation. And, but my, my dad was never satisfied exclusively with being a pulpit rabbi. Um, and your, your, your father and your father, and my father were colleagues, uh, your father in Annapolis. Uh, my father was originally from Baltimore. Right, uh, so right. again, the We've families have, have known each other for, for a lifetime or two lifetimes. Um, and um, and, and one, one additional point is that your, your, one of your sons was a classmate with our son. Uh, in elementary school at Yeshiva in, in uh, Bergen County. So again, it's three generations as opposed to two. Um, uh, back to the point is, is that my father was never satisfied to just be a rabbi. Uh, he, he was most interested in the Jewish community um, and being of service. Uh, he was of service during World War II as the United States Army Air Corps chaplain. Um, and he continued his relationship uh, with the chaplaincy and with uh, the American rabbinate, uh, the American modern Orthodox rabbinate rising eventually to become the president of the Rabbinical Council of America uh, and being become involved in multiples of organizations who saw in, in him, in, in our father, um, a, uh, just a, a unique array of skill sets um, and just his personality, his very warm personality they wanted uh, to associate and his intellect that they wanted to be associated with their organization. So that that's what was our house. A lot of issues were talked about 
at, at our, our, our Shabbos table. Um, various individuals, particularly uh, Israeli dignitaries, uh, came to our humble house uh, in the Bronx. Um, and I, I just had an interest, even in my youth, of, of following in uh, certain ways in my father's uh, footsteps, uh, particularly within the framework of the Jewish organizational orientation. Yeah. So, you know, you grew up in the Bronx. I grew up in a really small town where people would say, um, you're, you're the Jewish rabbi's son, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, which I, I guess is very true. Uh, but for some people who are, are the children of rabbis, um, you know, they go running off in another direction um, and see all the pressures that, that uh, their fathers uh, go through. Um, and now it could be their mothers. But um, so what drew you, you know, more specifically, did you think about you know, being a pulpit rabbi growing up or? Yeah, In, initially the answer is, is yes. There was, we used to call them the old days compositions, right? Uh, so <laughs> I, I wrote a composition, I think I was in, in fourth grade that I wanted to be a, a rabbi like my, my father. Um, so initially uh, my, my goal was to become a, a pulpit rabbi, a rabbi in a synagogue. Um, and eventually that's what happened. Um, I, I graduated uh, Yeshiva College. Um, I uh, pursued my master's degree in Jewish history and, and uh, received my ordination at, at Rabbi Isaac O'Connor Theological Seminary of, of Yeshiva University. Um, went into the U.S. Army as volunteered at the tail end of the Vietnam War um, when there were Jewish soldiers in the military who needed to be served. This is a war against which I protested, uh, but uh, I wanted to be of service not only to our country, but uh, particularly to the members of our Jewish faith. I served as U.S. Army, active duty U.S. Army chaplain uh, uh, stationed in Fort Knox, Kentucky, uh, married to, to Phyllis. Uh, a few years before uh, we went into the military, that was quite an experience being in, in Kentucky. Um, and, and then uh, my two years of, of required service uh, was completed and I was able to get a position in Springfield, Massachusetts as first uh, an assistant rabbi youth director of a very large congregation, the same congregation that Rabbi Norman Lamb, who became the president of Yeshiva University, uh, held that, that uh, pulpit. Um, and um, in a few years, I became the, the rabbi of that synagogue. Uh, so I, I achieved what I wanted to achieve in fourth grade. Uh, I, I, I got the rabbinical title and I, I served as a rabbi in a synagogue and, and got to preach uh, from, from a pulpit. Uh, so that was a kind of check off those boxes. Yeah, you checked them off very, very well. Um, I wanna go back a little bit to uh, Kentucky and Fort Knox and uh, as you mentioned, it was a, a very uh, contentious time in, in American in American life. The end of the toward the end of the Vietnam War. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those experiences coming from uh, a you know a very Jewish environment and uh, and taking it from there. I remember the the um, the first day that we arrived on this, uh, they're not called bases. Bases are for the Navy where your, your dad was uh, chaplaining in the US Navy in Annapolis, but um, uh, for us, it was a post. So the first day on, on, on you post- You wouldn't have done well on the Army-Navy game day. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the, the first day on, on, on post, uh, the, 
the major who was assigned to me uh, was a non-Jewish person, uh, Major Coates. I still remember his name, very tall, uh, strapping fellow. Um, and he took uh, Phyllis and me to the PX um, and sort of talked to us about life on, on Fort Knox uh, on, on the post. Um, and he sat down and uh, wanted something. So back in those days, I guess I drank soda. So I probably had a, a, a soda and maybe nothing else. I don't remember any longer, but I remember what he had. Uh, he had a hot dog and a glass of milk. Um, and for me, <laughs> as an Orthodox uh, Jew growing up in, in, in the Bronx, uh, that, that was a bit startling. Um, and I was the only Jewish chaplain uh, at Fort Knox, about 40,000 soldiers uh, wow. on that post. Um, and we had about um, maybe 200 Jews the first year I was there, maybe 100 Jews the second year uh, that I was there. Um, and there were, I think, 30 plus chaplains, um, all non-Jews, um, all Christians. And it really was an eye-opening experience uh, for me. Uh, I didn't grow up in a, in a sheltered environment. Um, our neighborhood in the Bronx was not particularly a, a Jewish neighborhood. It was Jewish, it was Irish, and eventually it, it became uh, mostly Latino, Latino, Black. But um, in, in, the, in the military, uh, you're there with everybody. Um, it, it's a uh, just multi-ethnic, uh, multicultural, multi-faith environment. Um, I just uh, one, one story that we, <laughs> yeah. uh, the, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers um, stored a, a sukkah uh, for not only for the, the chapel, but also for the, the chaplain. But we'll talk about the one at the chapel. Um, and so they, they built the, the sukkah and I told them that we needed thatch uh, for, for the roof and the Army Corps of Engineers can do anything. So um, they, they cut branches all the time. So they gather the branches and there the branches are piled next to this, this uh, wooden sukkah that, that had been stored, hadn't been used in a while uh, and was just put up. And one of them looked at me and he said, I looked at that pile of, of thatch and said, oh, I know what you wanna do. You wanna camouflage that thing. So <laughs> just one of, Again, uh, living uh, in, in the middle of, of America. And I guess one other story, I was eating lunch once uh, in, in my brigade. Uh, I was an assistant brigade chaplain during the week and I was uh, counseling tens of, of soldiers every day. Um, and on weekends, I was a rabbi. Um, anyway, so I was ha having lunch in uh, the social hall in, in our uh, headquarters. Um, and again, one of the Army Corps of Engineers guys uh, comes, comes through and sees me eating. I'm there with, with my kippah, with my yarmulke. And uh, he says, uh, uh, Chaplain, I say, yes, sir. I said, I love Israel. I said, that's, that's very nice. And he asked me, he said, you know why I love Israel? I said, no, sir, I don't know why you love Israel. He said, what's the capital of Israel? And I said, it's Jerusalem. Uh, he said, yeah, it's Jerusalem. And what are the three middle letters in the word Jerusalem? U-S-A. Hmm. Okay. Um, we'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> That's funny. Um, talking about Israel a little bit, I know that um, while you were at Yeshiva University, um, you spent uh, a year in, in Israel, right, as part of your studies? or 
I spent, um, after I graduated in um, high school, Yeshiva University High School in 66, 1966. And um, I was the only graduate that year out of 114, I think, who were graduated in that class uh, to go and study in Israel for the year, which of course is no longer the case. Uh, now, um, majority of the students, uh, are, we were a, a boys' school, but, but uh, both uh, young men and young women go to Israel to study for a year. So yes, that was my intention to study there for a year. It was quite a year. So you started a big, a big trend that later, <laughs> years later became very popular. Oh yeah. Um, but so were you there during the Six Day War? Yes, yes. Uh, and that was a riveting experience for, for all of us. Um, uh, looking back at it, I, I think that was um, a, a foundation stone for uh, who I am and what I have attempted to accomplish during my professional career and during my life. Um, it, it solidified the role of Israel uh, in, in my psyche, um, but beyond just that, I, I think the, the role of Israel for the Jewish people. Uh, so um, we, we, we were kids. Um, I, I, I had just turned uh, 18 at the end of May that year, um, went to Israel when I was 17. Uh, I had to make a decision to, to remain in Israel during the course of the war. Um, I only spoke to my parents twice that year, again, no cell phones. Mm -hmm. Back in those days, uh, and the, the yeshiva only had uh, two telephones. One was a payphone, and the other was a phone in the administrator's office. Um, so one um, was on my birthday, and then um, shortly after, um, I, I had to ask permission to remain in the country, which my parents uh, granted me. Um, so, um, it, and ultimately, um, my, my older brother, uh, David, now better known as David, um, class came. Mine. Excuse me? We, we graduated in the same class. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, um, so uh, he came. He was the president of the student organization of Yeshiva, SOY. Right. Um, and he came to volunteer. I didn't know that he was coming. Uh, it, it, the war had already broken out. But I, I, I'm, so having the, the two of us there give tremendous tremendous uh, kavod, uh, respect to our parents uh, for allowing their two sons. And we have uh, two sisters, our sister Debbie and our sister uh, Judy, um, and to allow their two uh, sons or two older uh, children to, to come to Israel during a war. Um, anyway, uh, preparing for that war um, was uh, a different kind of experience for us. So we had to dig uh, trenches, for God forbid, if there was going to be an, an air raid and we couldn't get into uh, the, uh, any bunker, um, we, we had to jump into a ditch. Uh, so that's one of the things that we did. We had to learn how to use the air raid siren in the kibbutz uh, next, next door to us, as well as to, uh, quote unquote, man the payphone uh, overnight, um, because that was the only way that, that we could get messages from uh, the military command um, the internal military command uh, as to what the status might have been or if it would have changed. Um, and I'm not sure I mentioned it to you when we spoke, uh, but um, before this broadcast, but uh, I, I had the, the shift with another guy um, the night that we got the call that Israel had destroyed the, the air force of, of uh, the Egyptian army and all the armies around. Um, 
uh, in essence, that Israel had won the war. What do you do at four o'clock in the morning uh, when, when you, you get that call? Uh, the only way we had of communicating people to get into, air, into the air raid uh, bunkers um, w w was a, like, a, like a trumpet. Uh, um, we're going to wake people up with a trumpet at four o'clock and say, hey, we, uh, we looks like we won the war. Um, but that, that, that was very meaningful uh, to have been a recipient of that call. And then the head of the yeshiva, the Rosh Yeshiva, that night, um, uh, actually the night of when Israel was, when Jerusalem uh, was reunited, um, spoke to us at, at night, all the, the, the lights in the Middle East uh, were, were off. Uh, there was a blackout in the entire Middle East. You could see every, every star in the sky. It was just incredible. And he spoke to us about Jerusalem. And when uh, he finished his, his lecture, um, we all started singing Shir uh, HaMalot, uh, the Song of Ascension, B'Shuvah Hashem Shivat Zion, as God returned us to, to Zion. We were like dreamers. We sang it to the tune of Atikva. Wow. Uh, I get chill. I get every time I say that, wow. I get chills. I just just got them now. Um, just just even thinking about it. Um, yeah, Such it, it was quite an experience. experience. Yeah, very different than a, a friend of mine at YU who uh, at that time who volunteered and got uh, got to Israel right when the war broke out. I didn't see him till. Uh, over the summer until school started again. And he had his arm in a, uh, in a cast. And uh, I said, what happened? He said, I broke my arm when I was there. I said, what happened? He said, things were tough over there. I found out later he was sent to a kibbutz and he broke his arm playing basketball the first day he was there. So <laughs> sounds like you had a much more productive uh, and meaningful experience. Yeah. So I, I guess that uh, experience in Israel is something that um, also brought you along toward. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about how you how you went from the rabbinate, which seemed like the quote um, more normal course, uh, into Jewish communal service, and in a professional way. And your dad was extremely involved in a leadership role as, as in voluntary roles. But um, tell us a little bit about how you made that transition? Well, um, being in the pulpit in Springfield, Massachusetts, um, I was given an opportunity to, well, when I became the rabbi, uh, succeeded my, my successor, my, my predecessor, uh, Rabbi Weisfogel, um, as uh, the, the senior rabbi became the rabbi emeritus, uh, I wanted to be of service to the community in Springfield. So I volunteered for the, uh, the local Jewish Federation um, and uh, the director of the Federation who was a member of my synagogue, also a member of the conservative synagogue. Um, and we've actually maintained uh, some contact over, over the years. Um, uh, he put me on the community relations committee. It was a committee of the local Federation and didn't take very long. <laughs> and I ended up as chair of, of the community relations committee and was given an opportunity to travel behind the Iron Curtain in April of 1983 mm. um, to visit with refuseniks, Jews who had requested visas to travel, uh, to leave the country and to go to Israel and were refused by uh, the Soviet authorities and then were, were uh, persecuted. Uh, they were prejudiced against in, in their uh, work careers, uh, in their personal lives, 
it, it, it was very, very challenging uh, life for them. Um, and so many, not many, a uh, number of, 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 of Jewish leaders, rabbis and others had, had traveled um, in, into the former Soviet Union to meet with them, to give them uh, strength, to show solidarity with them. Uh, speaking of solidarity, uh, what was very meaningful for, for them, they always knew about the Solidarity Sunday for, for Soviet jury uh, here in New York. Uh, that organization was eventually combined uh, with, with JCRC, uh, at the end known as the Coalition for Soviet Jury, originally the New York Conference on Soviet Jury. Okay, right. my, my late father, Rabbi Israel Miller was one of the founders of the Soviet jury movement. Um, and so I, I got an invitation to travel behind the Iron Curtain. As I said, it was April 83, it was after Passover, after Pesach. And the, uh, the rabbi who was gonna be, I was gonna be traveling with, um, regrettably for very uh, valid reasons had to cancel. Um, and I still remember, um, without mentioning their names, so I don't embarrass them, uh, but, but the directors of the NCSJ, National Council of Soviet Jury, saying to me, oh, you're Izzy Miller's, rab you're Izzy Miller's son. You can handle it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and so um, as a, a young rabbi, um, I, I flew uh, to the former Soviet Union. Um, so and you, you were the, the only student to, to go to Israel for the year. In your class, you were the only uh, rabbi with among 40,000 uh, people at, at Fort Knox. So I guess you were used to um, <laughs> these kind of solo adventures. Yeah, solo. You don't know how solo you are until you land in Moscow Airport um, and uh, go through um, uh, customs, which essentially is an interrogation. Um, mm -hmm. And I was... Um, admittedly smuggling uh, into the country Judaica of all different, different, different sorts, um, uh, books, um, uh, scrolls for, uh, for mezuzahs, um, straps for, for tefillin, um, all different kinds of things that I was, I was smuggling in. Um, and I had to get through customs in order to accomplish my mission. Um, so I, 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 I figured something out along the way. Um, and on the plane, I had a fl fly to, to Munich, uh, to Germany, and then from Germany to, to Moscow. Um, I had in a, an address book, I, I had the names of the refuseniks, um, but I just had their phone numbers. I didn't have their addresses. And I'm a, I'm a big sports fan. Uh, one of the teams that I follow, or the sports I follow is, is ice hockey, big, a New York Rangers fan. Um, and it was at that time, uh, back in, in the mid '80s, that uh, Scandinavian players uh, started playing in uh, in the NHL. Um, so I still remember one of the players on the on the Rangers was a player by the name of Anders Hedberg. So I came up with the following idea: I was flying to Moscow, then to Vilnius, Vilna, and then to uh, then Leningrad, now known as Saint Petersburg. Uh, so Moscow, Vilnius, Leningrad. From Leningrad, I was flying to Helsinki. Um, so I took all the names and thought of all the Scandinavian players that I could think of, and each one of their names became a street, a Hedbergstrasse, Andersstrasse, among others, um, and gave them addresses in Helsinki, Finland. And so when they wanted to take uh, my books away from me, 
um, I, I, I started he had to, to, to yell back um, and I had to challenge them. So I said, you can't take these deep books uh, away from me. Uh, they're for my, my family in, in Helsinki. And I opened up my, my book and I showed them the names of, of all my relatives and Andersstrasse and, and Hedbergstrasse. Um, in, in the end, uh, I got everything through. The, the guy was so frustrated with me that I pushed back on, on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I used the mezuzah uh, inserts um, as bookmarks in some paperback books that I brought with me uh, just to, to keep my mind occupied. Um, it, 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 it was uh, there, nearly every step of the way there, there was, I think, divine intervention. Uh, there was some miracle associated with my getting through. Um, and that, those two weeks, oh, by the way, the most frightening part is after you get through customs and you walk out um, to, to get a, a taxi and you realize how alone you are. You yeah. are on your own, buddy. Um, you know what you need to do do it, get it done. And going from uh, city to city, meeting with just fascinating individuals, but true heroes, heroes and heroines, uh, true men and women with, with beyond the courage that I think many of us in, in the free world can muster uh, to, to challenge uh, the great bear, to, ch- to challenge the, the Soviet Union and the authorities. Um, and I was even uh, taken someplace when I was in Leningrad uh, where they had to cover my eyes over so I wouldn't know where I was going to meet with somebody who was in, in hiding with a, a refusenik who, who was uh, in, in hiding. It, it, and again, uh, so many, so many stories, but um, one of them, when I was in, in Vilna, um, I, I can, we can't go through the entire story, but I, I met with the one family that I was meeting uh, there with, I was assigned to the Raiz family, um, Vladimir and Carmela Reyes, uh, and uh, we couldn't speak to each other in their home. I had a magic slate that I was writing on because their home was bugged. Uh, we, we met in, she, she had written on the magic slate to meet me in the, um, in the Jewish cemetery. We met in the Jewish cemetery and we walked and talked in Hebrew and in English uh, for about uh, an hour and a half, two hours. And then all of a sudden a, a, a man was seen over there and a man was seen over there. And she looked at me and she said, uh, KGB, um, and you have to run, you have to get out of here. Um, and you know, you think about the movies that we've all watched uh, and you hear the, the violins playing, um, I, 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 can't, I can't leave you. She said, don't worry about me, I can take care of myself, I'm worried about you. She, with her eyes, she told me what direction to run in. One thing I'm pretty good at is running. Um, and so after all my attempts of, of trying to uh, to, uh, to challenge her, um, I, I ran out. Uh, and as I coming to the entrance of the, the cemetery, it was a traffic circle. Um, and into the traffic circle came a black car. And in, in Vilna in those days, maybe today as well, uh, Vilnius uh, black cars were either a taxi or they were the KGB. Uh, why there was a black car there, I don't know. That was the only car that was there. And I was running out of the cemetery at the time the, being chased out by the KGB. Uh, I was going to wait for another cab to come um, or hail a bus or whatever. So I said, yep, um, what's the worst going to happen to you? Get in the car. Uh, the car stops. I get in it. It was a taxi. It was a taxi. And he took me to, to, to my hotel. Um, wow. what, what was that taxi doing there? Uh, so anyway, um, I... I Again, they're just multiples, so we don't have the time for them. Uh, but um, 
this experience, these two weeks uh, behind the Iron Curtain, plus uh, my uh, six days of, of, of war in 1967, Right. Uh, and the lead up to that and the aftermath of it, um, I, I think that solidified, particularly at this point in time in my life in 1983, um, I, I want to work in the Jewish organizational world and uh, step out of my role as a pulpit rabbi. So, so the following year you did that, right? Um, yep. You came uh, to- Well, in, in December of 83, um, a wonderful uh, a friend of, of, of my, my father's, um, uh, a fellow by the name of Charney Bromberg was working at the, what those days known as NACRAC, uh, now known as JCPA, Jewish Council for Public Affairs. Um, he set me up with a number of people. One of them he set me up with, uh, one of the people he set me up with was Malcolm Holine, who was then the executive, found the executive of the JCRC. I met with him in December of 83 because he was looking to hire an intergroup relations director. He didn't have one at the time. Um, and so he interviewed me and uh, didn't hear from him for a couple of months. And next thing I know in March, um, I get a call from, from Malcolm asking me whether I'd be interested in becoming his director of, of Israel International Affairs. Uh, so um, I said, how long do I have to think about it? He said, now. <laughs> so I, I accepted that, that position um, and uh, started working with the JCRC uh, in uh, 1984. Um, uh, was that it? Uh, 1974, 76, 78. Um, so I, I started working at JCRC in 1984, correct? Um, and it was April 29th, 1984. My, my first role as a JCRC Director of International Affairs was to fly down. I was in, still living in Springfield, fly down to, uh, to Washington, D.C. to attend an APAC conference. Uh, back in those days, for those who no bad APAC, everybody fit into one hotel. Um, and um, yeah, so that, that began, began my career May 1st, I started getting paid, but <laughs> um, so I, got, just, I got a jump start. So you're just uh, getting the hang of it uh, by now, right? And I know that uh, part of your work is leading uh, missions to Israel, that you've led more than 100 missions to Israel? Yes. I've led over a hundred missions to Israel. Wow. So okay. uh, one of the things, you know, and, and we can get into this uh, a little deeper, maybe um, a little later, but how much the community has changed um, and sometimes in very challenging ways. And, and one is about um, American Jewish relations with Israel and, and a lot of concern, particularly about younger people. Um, so it seemed, uh, it always seemed to me, um, from my perch, that one of the most successful uh, projects of, of the organized Jewish community was bringing people to Israel, um, potential leaders, civic leaders, political leaders, religious leaders, um, students, and others, and um, and showing them, you know, what what Israel was like, and and um, you know, in many many cases. Um, they became, you know, very big supporters of Israel. It seems more recently that the message on such trips is uh, come to Israel and see the complexity of Israel. Uh, I just wondered, again, you're looking over a long period of time in, in, in these missions. Um, does, does that resonate with you? Is that- Very much so. Yeah. Um, 
the people whom we've, if those who are not aware, the people whom we've taken on, on these trips, uh, for the most part, are non, non-Jews. Uh, once in a while, we'll take an elected official who is Jewish. Um, but for 90 plus percent, maybe 95 percent of them are, are non-Jews. Um, many of them are public officials, both elected and, and appointed, uh, community leaders, ethnic leaders, uh, not-for-profit leaders, faith leaders, uh, some uh, business leaders, union leaders. Uh, we know that we've had a success if at the end um, somebody, a member of, of, of uh, the mission, one of the participants, uh, will say it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, there are multiples of complications surrounding the, uh, the story of Israel. And um, uh, if, if we're able to show them how complicated it is so that they don't just accept um, hook, line, and sinker what they're reading uh, in uh, the, the American media or what they're seeing uh, on, online or on TV, uh, we know that we've accomplished something. Um, yes, uh, of course, we have influenced uh, some thinking about Israel uh, for the better, let's hope, Bezrat uh, Hashem with God's help. Um, but uh, the most important thing to begin with is to make, is to ensure that they recognize uh, the word that you use, the complexity uh, of, of um Israel's existence um, and its um, determined efforts to remain uh, the legitimate uh, state that it is um, and the, the Jewish and democratic uh, uh, homeland of, of the Jewish people. Yeah. Um, I, I wish we had time to, to delve into some of the more uh, you know, some of those missions and some of those experiences. Um, But maybe if you can step back a little bit on some of the major challenges you've faced in this position. Um, Many of us have seen you on podiums and, um, you know, giving talks at uh, rallies and other uh, formal occasions. And um, I'm sure that much of your work has been behind the scenes and, wonder if you could talk a little bit about that and how you balance that. Oh, it's behind the scenes, so I can't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, nobody's uh, watching. So. Um, there, there, there certainly uh, are challenges to playing the role that I've played over the, the past uh, nearly four decades. Um, many, many challenges. Uh, and one of them is exactly what you're raising about working behind the scenes. Uh, there are really two approaches. There are quite a number of, of, of Jewish organizations. I remember walking with uh, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, with Bibi Netanyahu, and he was the ambassador to the United Nations. And he, he said to me that uh, in the Jewish world, um, uh, one never gets wet. I kind of looked at him. I remember we were, we were walking, it was on Fifth Avenue um, after some event, or, and he said, on the Jewish meeting, one never gets wet. What, what, what are you talking about? He said, in the Jewish world, there is an umbrella on top of an umbrella on top of an umbrella. The Jews never get wet. Uh, so JCRC itself is an umbrella for more than 50 Jewish organizations, a conference of presidents, 52 organizations, Jewish Council of Public Affairs, et cetera, et cetera, 120 JCRC, Jewish Federation of North America, all these different umbrella organizations. So there are a lot of Jewish leaders um, who take the opportunity 
to get up at podiums and to give speeches and to be and and, and to do their work very very publicly. Um, we decided years ago that the most effective way for us to act as an umbrella, so as not to step on the toes of the organizations who are part of our organ, a part of our group, part of our agency, um, is give them the opportunity to do the public work, and and we're going to do the work behind the scenes. It's not a, um, a rule written in stone, but nonetheless, it's something that we've operated with during the course of my, certainly in the course of my tenure at the organization. Um, so it might be misunderstood, that's okay. Um, and what isn't okay is the, some of the sharp criticism we've received, but uh, I, I understand that there are at least two approaches to uh, leadership, uh, whether Jewish or non-Jewish, uh, uh, out front and behind the scenes, okay. Um, and we think that we have been highly successful over the years in avoiding controversies um, or arresting those controversies um, once they erupt. Um, and uh, it, it's, again, it's, it's been, been a challenge. It's not simple, it's not easy. Um, and most of it revolves around something very simple, Gary, and, and that's relationship building. The mm -hmm. missions to Israel, um, it's, uh, core uh, activity is relationship building. Of, of course, uh, there is uh, the need to educate and to be and to inform, uh, but uh, we got to know who the, these individuals are. Uh, some of them uh, might might be uh, business. I remember John John Liu um, was a, a Chinese businessman when we took him to Israel on, on a mission. He became a New York City Council. Um, and became um, the, the first Asian ever uh, to, to hold a citywide office. He was a New York City uh, uh, controller. Um, right. And now he's a New York State Senator. Uh, so, and again, uh, somebody like uh, Greg Meeks, who's now the, the chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, his first trip to Israel was uh, as a New York State Assembly member. Similarly, with regard to Hakim Jeffrey, similarly with regard to, to Grace Meng. Um, so, um, it, it's not just in, informing them, educating them, um, it, it's also building relationships uh, with them. And those relationships uh, are, are very solid and, and, and very, very deep. Um, so calling somebody, it doesn't have to be the names that I mentioned, uh, could be multiples of names, including uh, the mayor of the city of New York, the governor of the state, the, the, our US senators, members of Congress, and uh, the, the state assembly, state senate, New York City Council, and calling them and saying, you know, this is something I think you should be aware of, or we need some assistance in, in regard to this matter, uh, not in the New York Post, not in the Jewish Week, uh, not in the JTA, but uh, again, behind the scenes, um, just giving proper guidance. And I think that's earned the organization significant respect um, and has uh, led to the, uh, the reputation, uh, thank God, that, that the organization has been able to build. Yeah, I'm sure um, among the challenges, probably one of the most difficult was uh, the time of the Crown Heights riots. And um, I wonder what lessons were learned from that. I know there were um, a, a greater emphasis on those kinds of relationships with um, various communities. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that experience. There was a, a searing experience uh, for all of us. Um, I, I, we don't have enough time to go into all the details, but um, it, it was 
something which uh, was uh, brewing over a period of years. I remember I, I was uh, a very young executive when I first got this job in my 30s. Um, and we had a meeting with, with Ed Koch. You know, I'd meet with Ed Koch. He was like a, a, a larger than life uh, a character, a larger than life figure. Um, and we were talking about Crown Heights. I was a number of, of our Jewish organizational folks um, and myself with, with the mayor. And I referred to uh, Crown Heights as a, as a powder keg um, uh, ready to explode. And uh, somebody did explode at that meeting and it was Ed Koch uh, who, who uh, tongue lashed me for even using that term uh, powder keg. It was a powder keg. And uh, it did explode. Um, but how do you uh, pull it back together again? Um, and, uh, and really thankfully to uh, the UJA Federation of New York, uh, they provided JCRC with a, a grant. Uh, back in those days, $100,000 was worth a lot more than it is today, but uh, provided us with a $100,000 grant to uh, split our domestic division, which is led by, by David Pollack. Uh, David continued to work on the uh, government relations and security side. Uh, and we hired uh, Rabbi Bob Kaplan to be our director of intergroup relations. Um, and Bob uh, worked his magic out um, in, in the field, but particularly in Crown Heights, uh, to rebuild or to build a new relationships uh, between uh, the general Jewish community and the black and Jewish communities, Lubavitch, the Chabad community, but most importantly is the relation between uh, the, 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 uh, the Chabad Lubavitch community and their black neighbors um, through a project called Project Care initially. Um, mm -hmm. And I, that was really uh, a very important milestone um, in the history of, of the JCRC and I think in the history of the Jewish community of, of New York. Um, there have been flashpoints uh, over, over the years, uh, but nonetheless, um, there hasn't been an eruption uh, like we saw back in 1991. Um, and uh, obviously, uh, as the, the executive of the organization, um, I, I, I played my role um, and uh, our team are in, uh, just outstanding professionals um, who, who are just amazing at what they do. They're awesome, uh, played their role. And um, again, there's sometimes there are comments that are made in public which aren't necessarily reflective what's really, really happening. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm, I'm confident that the, the role that JCRC uh, played uh, post um, pre-riots pre uh, and then David Pollack, I know was out in, in, in Crown Heights uh, quite often. I was out in Crown Heights, uh, but post-riots, uh, um, yeah, I, I think that we, we helped and assisted uh, in ensuring that relationships would be improved upon and I believe they have been. So uh, while you say that, it's also, I think pretty much recognized now uh, statistically, anecdotally, uh, that anti-Semitism uh, has, you know, reared its ugly head again. Uh, people attribute it to um, the political climate, um, some point to where it's coming from the left in regard often to Israel. Um, others point to the right and uh, white supremacists. 
etc. But wh whichever way you look, um, it seems like one of the only things they have in common is their uh, their hatred of, of Jews, um, which you know I think many of us thought at this point in time in the 21st century we wouldn't be dealing with it in America um, that way. You know, just wondered your thoughts about that. Are we yeah. are we overreacting or what what do you think is going on? No, I don't think we're overreacting. Um, I I've always wanted I always wanted to to shield my children from anti-Semitism as they were growing up, um, and I, I I believe that for the most part during their upbringing um, that they, they were um, not exposed to significant palpable anti-Semitism. Uh, well, that is no longer the case. So now more for my grandchildren than it is for for my children to see. Uh, the degree of hatred directed towards uh, our, our Jewish community, uh, both here in the New York metropolitan area across the country and around the world. Um, if uh, th there is no solution, Gary, uh, if there was a solution, it would have been arrived at um, uh, thousands of years ago. Um, it, it's a reality. Um, it's more akin to, uh, to a virus. It's very difficult to eradicate viruses. And, th and there is no uh, th there is no vaccine. Um, th the best approach that we have found um, is the relationship building. You know, uh, we are, for God's sake, say a community relations organization. And I've always uh, I've said this, my, my staff will hear this and, and they'll roll their eyes. There are two ways of, of pronouncing um, our name. We are uh, the Jewish Community Relations Council. So for the Jewish community, we need to relate each other one to the other, um, but we're also the Jewish Community Relations Council. We are the Jewish community and we relate to the non-Jewish community as well. Um, a lot of anti-Semitism is born uh, because of the lack of knowledge as to who the Jews are. We talked before about Israel, about informing people about the complexity of, of, of Israel. Well, our Jewish community is complex as well. Um, our our uh, culture is complex. Our religious practices are, are complex. Um, and the more that people know who we are, uh, I believe uh, that's the best potential. It's not an antidote, uh, but it's a salve uh, to, uh, um, to see what can be done to uh, slow down, uh, if not uh, to uh, eliminate, I don't know if we can eliminate it, uh, anti-Semitism. Um, so as a community relations organization, that's central to our mission. Uh, it, it, it isn't combating the anti-Semitism such as what the ADL does. Um, uh, yeah, we do a little bit of that, uh, but uh, it, it's, it's more preventing the anti-Semitism by building those of relationships by ensuring that there is dialogue, communication, um, uh, correspondence between us and the non-Jewish uh, world, while while at the same time ensuring that we internal to the Jewish community also communicate with each other. And that's one of the problems that we have found. There, there's been a high degree of, of polarization uh, in, in, in America, around the world possibly, but we're gonna focus on, on, on America. Um, look what's happening or isn't happening in, in Congress um, because of, of the impasse between uh, the Democrats and, and the Republicans. Uh, 
back in, in the day, we would say, yes, we can disagree, but we should disagree agreeably. Right now, the disagreements generally devolve into demonization of those uh, who, who disagree with us. And that's not only between the Jewish and the non-Jewish community, that's internal to the Jewish community. My father would always quote that, that uh, you would remember, of course, uh, that, that cartoon um, character Pogo. Um, and in, in Pogo, who is a philosopher, Mm -hmm. Excuse me? About the enemy? Right. Yeah. I've seen the enemy and the enemy is us. Um, we, we need to address the internal enemy. Um, the internal enemy it was addressed by, uh, the, uh, by the rabbis, by our sages years ago, uh, known in, in Hebrew as sinat uh, chinam or sinas chinam uh, of uh, pointless hatred. Um, and uh, th there regrettably is, is too, much, too much of that. Uh, we see it here in America. We, we see it in Jewish communities around the world. And we certainly see it politically. We see it in Israel. Um, that's something which needs to be addressed. Go back to the, the very name and mission of this organization as a community relations organization, uh, trying to bring people together to communicate with each other, <laughs> even if they disagree uh, fundamentally, principally uh, on, on issues. So that is, um, you know, a, a very heavy burden and, and challenge. Um, I know in my experience uh, at the Jewish Week and in uh, covering American Jewish life for a very long time, uh, that was a message that uh, was the one we always, you know, spoke of is uh, trying to, to be the bridge of a, to connect different elements of the community. And sometimes when we were beat up um, from the left and the right, I thought, well, maybe that's a good thing. They, um, <laughs> uh, we're bringing them together in some way. Um, but in, in more seriously, uh, you know, the recent Pew report, as, as you well know, is reflecting that uh, increasing gap within our community where we have two extremes um, particularly among younger people, where uh, there's a significant group that's moving to the right uh, religiously, uh, and a significant group that we call the nuns that are not affiliated. So it seems the challenge for, you know, what uh, Netanyahu who referred to well as the umbrella group, uh, is that much more difficult? I mean, where do we find that common ground where we can even get people to get together and argue with each other. I mean, the rabbis of the Talmud are a great example, right? They argued about everything, um, but they did it respectfully um, in the, in the, for the sake of heaven. Um, I worry about the, uh, what motivates a lot of the disputes in our community today. So as you're about to become you know, CEO emeritus, and you, what advice do you have for all of us and for how the community can continue to operate? Or, or, or are we getting past the point where we have, um, you know, umbrella groups that are trying to unite us? Yeah, very tough question. Um, I, I, Jewish, the Jewish community has evolved over millennia and we're experiencing an evolution right here um, in America and in New York, uh, we need to recognize that. Uh, and one of the reasons why I've decided 
to uh, step aside as the uh, executive vice president, CEO, essentially the executive director of this organization, is that another generation needs to step in um, and take leadership. Um, I, I uh, it's not uncommon, maybe we spend a lot of time on it um, in, in analyzing it, but it is not uncommon for young people not to want to do what their parents did. I'm, I'm, maybe I'm an exception to the rule. You talked about it with uh, rabbis, uh, children. Uh, it's not just rabbis, it's, it's preachers' children. A lot of studies have been, the sociological, psychological studies have been done about it. But okay, um, I, uh, the, the organizational structures that, that have been in place over all these years, um, yeah, they've been in place over all these years. It doesn't mean uh, that they are permanent fixtures. Um, so what is the next step? Um, and I, I think that we uh, communally um, and my successor and other successors, the, the successor generation uh, needs to ensure that we keep an open ear uh, to what the younger generations are, are saying. It isn't enough for me to say, oh, I don't wanna be part of the organizations that my parents and grandparents uh, were, were a part of. Okay. But how do you want to identify Jewishly? And you're right, uh, Gary. Um, the most troubling part of, of the, the Pew study are the uh, the, the just Jewish uh, part of of, uh, of of our population. Um, or they just know that they are Jewish, but it doesn't mean anything to them. Just a Jewish by heritage, uh, not Jewish by any degree of culture or practice, um, and. Uh, I, I think we've taken uh, too much of a, a laissez-faire uh, approach to our young people, and we really do need to engage them. I, I just use one, one example. Uh, you talked um, earlier on, you referenced earlier on about uh, rallies and hearing me standing at podiums at rallies. Rallies are rare nowadays. Uh, we did a, 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 a rally, I guess, of sorts, uh, the march and, and rally, um, on uh, January 5th, 2020, in partnership with UJA Federation, as many of our major projects are in partnership with UJA Federation. Uh, we marched across the Brooklyn Bridge, the no hate, no fear. Why? Because the culmination of anti-Semitism reached a point where we sensed that people wanted to move away from what we're doing now, to move away from their computer screens um, and uh, to take to, to the streets. Uh, back in, in the 1970s and 1980s and 1990s, there were no computer screens. There was no alternative. Uh, and so other than watching television or listening to, to a radio, what alternative do you have? But there's a march, there's a demonstration, there's, there's a rally, I'm going to be there. Um, it's, it's referred to as a kind of the Soviet jury orientation. I had a conversation with Rabbi Haskell Lukstein about that uh, just uh, a week ago. Um, so uh, I, I think we need to adapt. The Jewish world needs to adapt to the realities of, of today. And hopefully that younger mindset uh, will make its way. There, there will be individuals who, who will rise within the, the ranks of, of uh, that, that mindset of those generations who wanna take positions of leadership, but leadership from within rather than uh, top down more like the, the bottom up, there, there are no no simple solutions to, to this. Like we can't eradicate anti-Semitism. Uh, th there's no panacea here that that anyone has been able to identify. Nor should we spend 
all too much time decrying and, and tearing our hair out uh, that, that this, this is happening. Well, do something about it and try to find those yichidei skula, those uh, unique individuals within those ranks uh, who can rise. I have seen them. I have seen them. Uh, we've tried to empower them internal to JCRC, and I've seen them in other organizations as well. Um, and uh, I, I believe that the time is coming um, very, very soon where we're going to see, uh, 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 of course, uh, with, with my successor, but we're going to see others uh, stepping in into positions with um, a, a, a different, younger, um, and uh, a more adaptable uh, orientation uh, to the importance of, of having a Jewish presence uh, here in America, not as individuals, but as, as a collective. Uh, and that really is a, a crucial message which needs to be uh, communicated. Well, that's, uh, I'm glad you, you know, I'm glad you delivered that message. And um, I think it's a, a fitting place to, to uh, at least pause an ongoing conversation that will continue um, over the years. And um, so Michael, I, it, it's really been, uh, as I said at the outset, it's been an honor and a pleasure um, for me to be with you today. And um, I just wanna thank uh, everyone for being with us uh, and thank you. Um, thank everyone here for joining us on this uh, season finale of the Community Relations Corner. Uh, Michael will be honored next week at the JCRC Virtual Gala for his 36 years of remarkable leadership, uh, which we've heard about today. And uh, be sure to check the gala website. It's jcrcnygala.org for details. And tune in on Wednesday, June the 23rd at 7 p.m. And to our viewers, uh, Community Relations Corner will be back in the fall with JCRC's new uh, Executive Vice President and CEO, Gideon Taylor. So be on the lookout for the premiere of season two. And again, thanks to you, Michael. Thanks to everyone involved with this uh, production of JCRC. And thanks to all of you who are out there who have been watching. And uh, shalom. <laughs>